take three deep breaths right now, breathing in and breathing out, wherever you are. Notice how you feel in your body and your mind and come into the present moment. Hello and welcome to And Breathe. My name is Rebecca Dennis and I am a breath coach and this podcast is here to help you understand the power of your breath. Each episode, you'll hear experts and inspirational people from all walks of life share their stories and experiences that have changed their lives for the better. And throughout the podcast, we'll be sharing tips on how our breath can help us through challenging times and how it's much more than just an inhale and an exhale. I'm excited to share with you that accompanying each episode will be an exclusive breathing exercise. You can come back and listen to these at any time you feel the need. They are free, easy to use, relaxing exercises, and the more you practice, the more you'll feel the benefits. I've specially designed these to help you navigate through life by reducing stress and anxiety, getting better sleep, feeling more clarity, focus, gain self-confidence, and bring you more energy. You can find these breathing exercises wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for And Breathe. Okay, so let's move on with the podcast. I'm really excited to be introducing my next guest, Jo Manuel, who teaches yoga for children and children with special needs. This is such a special podcast and at times I know it's going to move you to tears. Her work is truly remarkable and I just wish there were more people on the planet like Jo. When I turned up at her yoga center over 10 years ago, struggling at the time myself with depression, I had no idea how much this was going to have an impact on my life. And this really is where so many doors open for me. I probably go as far to say that it was a big part of transforming my whole life. In this episode, we speak about children with autism, ADHD, special needs, and how Joe has shown how their needs can be met. We also speak about the mental health crisis, lack of community and connection. Joe's yoga center where I first met her was open to everyone from all walks of life, not just for middle class folk who can afford it. And I've never walked into a center that felt so special like that since. So let's begin. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. It's very nice to be here with you again. It's ages since I've seen you. It's a very, very long time. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I think it's like every year I keep saying it's, it's now I think it's 10 years isn't it mm. and and I still am definitely one day well definitely maybe it'll be next year that I'll come and do the training with you but I door is always always open thank you <laughs> but I always send people yeah. to you when yeah. I get parents or um, people who want to learn um, the the techniques that you teach working with children I always send people your way but first of all let's just um what would be wonderful just to be, start at the beginning, really, with you and yoga and how you came across yoga and and what that felt like, what that meant to you? Well, um, I stepped into my first yoga class in 1974. I was a teenager. And in those days, yoga wasn't popular. It was something still deemed as slightly weird. And, um, you know, you were kind of not really in the norm at that point. Yeah. But for me, it was a very spiritual experience, actually, that moment of stepping in. It was it was like an aha moment of, ah, oh, this is the path that I really feel will take me on my journey of my own personal healing from having been a fairly abused child. Mm. So 
Um, Where were you? Was this in the UK? It was in the UK. It was in yeah, London. Right. And it was a. It was a. It turned out many, many, many years later. I found out it was a Shivananda class, but I didn't know that at the mm. time. And I, my, my memory of it is really sensory actually because I remember the smells of the incense. I remember the people dressed in white. I remember the chanting, and I have no recollection of the physical practice at all. But I do remember kind of feeling like there was a shaft of light above my head holding me there and just kind of affirming that this was a path that I could take. And I left there with the Bhagavad Gita to read. I was 17, actually. So it's quite an intense, yeah. you know, uh, ex starting experience. It's, it's very different to how most people start yoga because most people start through the physical practice. Well, it's changed so much now, hasn't it, yeah. throughout the years? Yeah, 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 very much where, so. And I love that, actually, how you describe it as it being more of a sensory experience, whereas compared to especially in 1974 and even when I met you actually where yoga was not sort of mainstream or or there weren't yoga studios and it's all every corner um but I remember when I first walked into special yoga center and that's exactly what it felt like it was just it was the experience of being there and you could feel it in the atmosphere and how held it was and the smells as well and um and it felt like when I were years when I was younger and I always used to go to India and I would go there every year whenever I used to step my foot off the plane it would always feel like home mm. and you seem to create that atmosphere for for many of us there mm. and then so was that something that you practiced and it was it was that it so you you went into that class well, and I then went you into that class and I stayed you know stayed in practice for a while and then I moved to New York when I was 20 and um a few months into moving there, I walked past a neon sign that said yoga. And it was a really, really, really small studio in on West 4th Street. Mm. And the teacher at that time, as I walked in, was saying to one of his students, you know, use your body as a vehicle of prayer. And I thought, I'm home. I'm home. This mm. is this is how I can practice. And he took me on my journey for the, the 10 years that I was in New York for the days when I was physically in New York. Right. I went and hung out with him. And I we both had stray dogs. I used to try and time my dog walks so that I could stand next to him in the park. I mean, all that kind of thing, you know, because yeah. <laughs> he had that kind of beautiful, centered, mm. quiet, peaceful energy that I was just craving. And at the same time, you know, probably having a bit of ADHD myself from my right. own early, early life trauma you know, there was a piece of me that needed to stay there because that was what was familiar. Mm. And then there was the piece of me that was being pulled towards really finding that that stronger piece inside myself, which is obviously more, you know, the truth of who we are, you know, and the rest of it becomes the layers of conditioning. Because experience. when you when you look at uh, how yoga has hit the mainstream and all these studios that are opening and open how would you describe how you've seen a change or what what would you say that yoga really means to you or what do you think it should be for everybody oh there's lots of questions there yes <laughs> so well i think that in those days there was much more lineage based yoga being taught and then what happened over so when the you years, say lineage, lineage so came from the indian gurus passed down from student to student yeah. and it was very authentic in its process, in its part, in, in the in the way in which the information was passed, and the you know way in which yoga was then practiced, yes. and the different pathways for that were different according to who the preliminary teacher was. And even if you look at somebody like Deshikeshar, who had a number of students who then taught differently 
um, not Deshikashar, uh, Krishnamacharya rather, you know, which was Iyengar, Deshikashar, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They all had different, uh, Patabi Joyce, I think, was another one of them. They all came down through their different different lineages. So, of course, if you kind of follow the pathway of that, they then teach loads of Westerners, and the Westerners then take on their own forms of yoga, mm. you know. Um, I mean, certainly vinyasa flow wasn't even in the language that I ever heard yeah. in the early days of yoga. Ashtanga yeah. vinyasa was, but not not uh, vinyasa flow. So, you know, there's lots of different practices, and maybe it was there, and I just hadn't heard about it too. I don't know. Well, I mean, you have like... You know, I, I really there's don't know. Vogas, there's vogas, so like all different many, types of yogas so now. many different styles of yoga now. Mm. And obviously that's to some degree also been adapted for the Western world, for the Western body, for the Western psyche, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which is obviously different to where it originated in India to some degree. Yeah. You know? um, but I think for me, yoga is a philosophy. It's a way of being. And I think we hear people say, I do yoga because they go to a class a week, get on a yoga mat, get sweaty, do lots of positions, feel a bit better for a while, you know, go and go back into their lives. But they're not actually embracing what sits underneath that, which is really, um, for me, it's a connection with the divine. And it's also a way of existence. It's a way of being. Mm. And it's a way of, yeah, it's a way of being. And a way of living in, you know, in as much connection as we can find to that, you know, where we come away from the fear-driven existence that we all live in the society we live in. Um, and I think it gives us that pathway. It's a, you know, that's, that for me, that's what it's about. Yeah. And it, it has changed. Yeah, and, it's, and it's so important, like that, what you say about it being a way of being and taking those lessons from the mat out into the world. You know, and I think all yoga has different benefits for for everybody, and and if that and you know to different degrees, there's different styles. But um, you know, often when you see or when I'm, people coming out of classes, but then there's no space awareness, and they just go straight back onto their phones and and not noticing maybe someone coming down the stairs from a deep mm. therapy class, mm. and and so. Um, yeah, there's. It's. I guess there's. That some people will be going to to yoga just simply for the physical mm -hmm. to get fit to get a yoga body, mm -hmm. rather than necessarily going to work with, like you say, what's going under, what's what's going on under the layers, the subconscious, mm -hmm. and with the mind as well, and the heart, and the heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. But I think also that's changing. You know, you've got kind of two, I can see kind of two streams of yoga happening now. One is more around yoga therapy and the other, you know, where it's applied as uh, a he as the healing tool that it has the capacity to be yes. on many multitudinous levels, in fact, all levels of our existence, actually. And you've got still got the kind of gym bunny yoga going on. So you've got both both at play. Yeah. Uh, and both have their uses and both are going to be of interest to different people. And some people need to come in through one pathway and some people may come in through another, you know. Mm. So. So then coming to the Special Yogi Centre, then what, you know, how did that begin? And can you just explain to the listeners as well? What, what the Special Yoga Center is? So the Special Yoga Center was a physical space that we that was opened uh, with a, a charity behind it that um, was there for a few different reasons, actually. Part, predominantly, it was there to create a nurturing, welcoming space for children with special needs where they could have access to um, the therapeutic intervention that we offer as part of Special Yoga. It was also there to provide a, a safe space for the parents. It was also there to provide yoga 
to as many people as possible without it being ridiculously costly and with the hope that it would help open the doors to 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 different aspects of yoga also being welcomed in like breath work like kirtan which wasn't very well known at that Mm. time i think we were the first studio offering kirtan in london um to to also just making it accessible to people who couldn't afford whatever it was cost in those days 10 quid a class i mean 10 quid today would be cheap but in those days it was still too expensive it was still only really available to people who could afford it Mm. and afford it at quite quite, a high price middle class kind of yeah and i and i that always bothered me that it wasn't available to everybody actually Mm. Because you um, had donation classes as well. We had donation didn't classes. We, you know, we had classes for the elderly. We, I mean, yes. and I think we probably tried to do too much. You know, hence the collapse <laughs> of the organisation. But, but nevertheless, it opened the door to an awful lot of people. It, uh, you know, it was a very healing space for the period of time. And that's the that offering we as well. It. That's the offering as well, isn't it? That people, um, parents with children with special needs, that they will they will pay what they can afford Mm -hmm. for their child Mm -hmm. to have Mm -hmm. yoga. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I always remember, I mean, there were so many beautiful moments, but just seeing when the children would come in with their parents or with their carer and seeing maybe they would feel a bit agitated or, um, or there would be some anxiety and then they would go into the room, little door and then come out of the door and it's just, a complete change of state just in total bliss really Mm -hmm. and that's that was just just wonderful to witness and just a real honor to be there and to be part of that and I guess you must still be be doing that for (laughs) years haven't you but it's Yeah. yeah but I mean it's have you how would you describe like the general attitude and understanding of special needs nowadays and yeah from like well, 20 I, years ago when you first began? Well, I think um, 20 years ago, first of all, there, weren't the le- there wasn't the... Le- well, it was more than 20 years ago, but nevertheless, there wasn't the level of diagnosis that there is today. Mm. So more and more cho- there's more and more awareness of different needs. I think, you know, language has changed, you know, as well. Um, Whereas uh, spastic was used... You know, there was language used in the, in, in yeah. the years gone by that we wouldn't use today because it's politically incorrect. Mm. And actually, I don't think anybody's disabled anyway. I think that we're all differently abled. So, And I think that there should be more and more, and hopefully there will be more and more, movement towards a, an overall acceptance that we are all different and we all have different needs and we all, we all have different abilities, not needs, all have different abilities. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't make us good or bad. Um, I think that there's more and more awareness of behavior in education at the moment because there's more and more ADHD, autism being diagnosed. There's more and more trauma. There's more and more fear in the world. Mm -hmm. And therefore that that brings us, uh, you know, whether they're, you know, classical ADHD or whether it's, you know, acquired from the traumatic from trauma really or fear uh, very high levels of anxiety the kind of level of disconnection that we have you know in the world with technology with the way parents are having to work and not seeing their children Mm. you know you know so what does that lack of attachment then do to the nervous system of the child that then presents itself as ADHD because the child's fighting to be seen to be heard to be acknowledged yeah I don't know the answer to any of this you know Mm -hmm. but I think that there's more awareness 
of of needs. And at the same time, there is still uh, certainly, you know, in the UK, there, you know, the the vulnerable are have been deprived of. That's where the biggest, co- co- uh, as far as I can tell, the biggest costs have been cut. And these families are having to fight harder and harder and harder for respite, for care for their children, for education for their children, for you know their basic needs to be met. Mm-hmm. You know, and as they get older and they're stuck in homes, they're having less and less care. You yeah. know, so. You know, because they don't, they're not deemed as valuable members of society. Mm-hmm. And until that changes, I think there's not going to be a huge change. And you see it, I see it all over the world. It's yeah. not specific to the UK. Yeah, and it I has was different going manifestations sort of elsewhere. Culturally as well, but we'll come to that a bit later. But like what, what you notice in different cultures around attitudes. And, and it's like what you say about um, connection, because connection is so important for us as human beings, mm. isn't it? And... Uh, and then more and more, I mean, I guess back in the day when I was little, it was fine for us to be outside and going out on our bikes and mm. playing with, you know, our friends. And we didn't have mobile phones. And so, mm. you know, if you weren't in, you weren't in, you weren't being texted all the time. And we didn't have, the, you know, the games and sc- screens. And there's so much more screen time, isn't there now? And people, kids spending like on average something like five hours a day or something. And and then there's that stuff around loneliness, but also a big where their brains are not totally developed. I mean, mm-hmm. what's your, I mean, there, it's, um, you notice like kind of the difference in, in emotions or anger, or like you say, like with these um, diagnosis of ADHD. Or, and also just the mental health crisis. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's all down to technology, mm-hmm. but I do think it's down to the fact that we've become a society that's, um, that's imbalanced and there's less community less community certainly i mean we don't live in community anymore mm. and i you know if you i just came back recently from west africa where although it's really poor there is a sense of community where they will to some to as best they can take care of each other mm. you know and the mothers are there with their sister and all the kids are together and one goes out to work and everybody else takes care of the children mm. and you know so and then you know there's people passing through and passing by and everybody engages with the kids so the kids are never deprived of a, attention there is a fear-based discipline around how you behave and so it's got a different cultural piece there yeah but from a from a kind of con- connection perspective, they're there with their families, you know. Mm. So, would you say that there's a, a rise in you know all of these um, diagnoses? So, I mean, it, it's very hard because I guess it's like when you, when you put special needs into a uh, a box and kids into a box as well so they get diagnosed with they've got this or they've got that Mm. and so on but you've always been tried to explain it in a different way haven't you that it's like kind of reframe it that they're special powers as opposed Mm. to special needs or disabilities Mm. and Mm -hmm. seeing the light in all of these children and Mm -hmm. how that they all deserve peace and everybody has something to offer and everyone has a place in the world Mm. Um, but would you say that there is, is in your, by your experience, because you, you work every day in, in, around, you know, special, special needs, would you say that you've seen a rise or do you think it's more of awareness? There's certainly a, a, a rise in diagnosis, whether the children were already there or not. I don't know mm. that I don't know the answer to, you know, um, I suspect that there is to some degree, 
you know, a greater number of kids with different abilities coming through because I actually think that the world needs them. These are kids who, you know, if you just even... I mean, I, I know, you know, Greta Thunberg, I can't pronounce her name yes. properly, but, you know, if you if you looked at her, I mean, if she wasn't on the spectrum, she wouldn't be able to do what she's she doing. She wouldn't be able to handle she, it, would she? She wouldn't be able to handle just, the bullying. You know, she's the... got the one-channel process, mm. the one-channel way of thinking that some people with autism experience. Yeah. Not ev- not everybody experiences that, but some will have that kind of experience. And that, that's allowing her to follow a, a path without being pulled off it in 15 million directions, yes. like we all are with yeah. the state of our mind. So, so it's a gift. So that's a gift. And mm-hmm. I think that these children are gifted. And, you know, so often I would see there was, I mean, you know, children who had really special abilities, you know, like at six years old, had already figured out how the hand drying machine worked, but yeah. realized that it was too noisy for their sensory system and then had figured out how it could be made differently, you know, without noise. I mean, from a mechanical perspective, mm. but no one was going to listen to that because he's six, yeah, and because he so doesn't fit in. Gets shut down. Yeah, it gets shut down, and also he doesn't fit into the typical education system because mm. he can't sit still, he can't listen without fiddling, he can't listen without jumping. So he's, you know, he's he's not being met, you know, and and I all equally understand that from a teacher's perspective, you have thirty plus children in a classroom, and your your job there is to teach them. And, you know, that's what you've been given a mandate to do. And they have in, to fill out the paperwork. They have to and, fill out the paperwork. Yeah. And then you've got maybe up to 10 children bouncing off walls in one in any one given classroom. Mm. And how do you navigate that? How do you manage that? Yeah. You know, in any sensible way that you don't walk away at the end of the day feeling complete despair that you failed everybody. Mm. You know, so it's not, um, there's no a portion to blame you know in terms of the the way in which teachers run their classrooms but the the way in which we as a society understand the value of these children doesn't give them any space to exist within the way we have created the structure for education you know and children are spending hours learning things that you're never going to need anyway yeah in in truth what would you like to see changed in schools I'd like, like to see like more emotion. I'd like to see more emotional development mm. taught. I'd like to see more physical movement taught. I'd like to see breath work taught. Yeah. I'd like to see things that actually are going to give you the tools to help you on your life's journey as a whole human being. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like to see the children that perhaps are not so academically abled, totally honoured and guided to find their path because everybody has one. And then obviously, like your work is spread around the UK and globally as well and you have many teachers that you've tra- you've trained so what are like the the results that you are seeing with these children what what's the biggest impact that you're you're finding that how does it help the children well i think you know if the ultimate goal is to support the children to have a the most balanced nervous system and to be able to find that place of rest within themselves because their nervous system is calm then everything within them is functioning has the opportunity then to function at optimum. Mm. So whatever that may be for that child, and we don't know what that is, yeah. and that's not our job to know that either. You yes. know, But our, jo- our job as special yoga practitioners is to help, help guide the child to find the most peace that they can find so that they are in the optimum space of learning function, physical function, neurological function, emotional function, whatever it may be, because it's from that, I believe that it's from that space that we can be the best that we can be. Yeah. So, and then, because you work a lot with parents as carers as well. 
So, well, what, you know, there's two kind of really two big pieces to the mm. quality to, to what we do at Special Yoga. I truly believe that our state matters. So, if you, you know, if you look do at you the mean energetic, our state as in parents and yeah, carers, you and mean. educators, yes. and yeah. Uh, pediatric professionals and the world actually yeah, is we well underestimate the children isn't it but if you've got a very anxious parent or what are or you modeling what's, what's happening teacher. yeah i mean what, yeah. what where's the model there i mean children mm. are going to learn best by the energy of that they experience around them rather rather than what you tell them to do or yeah. be yeah. so if that's in conflict we're going nowhere mm. and you know i think it's very hard for a lot of these children to exist in the world because we try and pigeon pigeon hold them into being how society wants feels they should be yeah right so if you put yourself then in there's, the, there's not no what no choices no and then you them. put yourself in the body of that child and you go would i want somebody if i if i were in that body with that kind of neurological ability would i want somebody pushing me around telling me i'm wrong telling me i'm bad because i actually can't do what you're asking me to do not because i don't want to but because i actually can't mm. Where is that? How how would that make me feel? So how can I meet then the child yeah, with like no it's, judgment? It's like breaking no, the spirit. Yeah, is that of course. You find, find yeah, it? I yeah. think so. I think so. You know, and I think if you you know you're looking at children with severe physical disability, there's a lot of fear around them. You know, so again, if I was in that body, would I want people that were scared of, of touching me, mm. scared of being able to give me what what my what I you know meet my needs? Yeah, I don't think so. So I think it's, you know, I think it's very, it's a very tricky situation, you know, tricky environment. And then we wonder why these kids get frustrated and we try and stop them from being frustrated. But actually we're not going underneath and saying, you know, the frustration is just a communication tool that says I'm not okay. Mm. You know, and how do I go underneath the frustration and go, okay, so where, where, how can I meet those needs? How can I hold you in a safe, loving space that acknowledges the light of your existence? Yeah, and then giving you these, to, these guiding tools through life, I guess, in a, in a safe environment so that when they do navigate through life and then come into adulthood, they've got these tools to to cope with with everyday life. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, our training is also to invite the adults who come with us, come to us, come to us on our journey, is to, you know, where are you in your own judgment of you? Where are you in your own expectation of yourself? Mm. Where are you? Because however you respond to you, you're going to you're going to put out there into the world. So how do or we project that onto your child? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So how do we then take that own inner journey? So they then actually the children then become your teacher, yes. because what they do is they reflect back to you all the all the unhealed parts of you, you know, where you get triggered and you feel judgment and you feel expectation and you don't feel good enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is everybody in the world to some a greater or lesser extent anyway. Yeah. You know, and that's where I think these these kids are our teachers if we stop and listen. Mm. And that's our job is to stop and listen. Yeah. And, and, and that's is time, isn't it? I guess time mm. is really the essence and, and people don't really seem to have so much time anymore. I don't do think they? it takes Everyone's time. So I think it busy. takes attitude. Mm. I think it ch takes a change in attitude. Right. If you're just willing to listen, you can see immediately. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't yep. take no, time. You don't enough. have to sit with a child for hours and hours to try and figure out why why are they screaming. Mm. I mean, sometimes you do because you don't know whether you know if it's a non-verbal child, you don't know if they're in pain or you don't know if they're upset about something. I mean, obviously that's a different picture. But on a more generalized basis, you know, it's listening is just you know when you start to listen to yourself and you take the time to be with you. That's where you can be with another 
mm. in, with a greater presence and a greater communication ability because you're in communication with you. Most people are disconnected. Yeah. We're all disconnected, actually. Yes. To yeah. a greater or lesser extent. Absolutely. And it becomes a choice of how connected we choose to be. Mm. But it's, you know, it, for the most part, it's easier to disconnect because you don't have to touch your pain. I mean, when parents come to you or when they've found out that their children have disability or they're, they um, have found out that they have ADHD or Asperger's, mm. how do you help them? Because obviously there's a multitude probably of uh, emotions, maybe shock, and it's not how you imagined that your life well, was going to be. there's a grief that goes with it, grief, yeah. 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 So how do you help parents to move forward with that or... Yeah. How, what advice well, I do think, you have? I think um, I think the first thing is is that your the is is kind of understanding that the diagnosis of your child doesn't change your child. Mm. Your child is your child, yeah. irrespective of the diagnosis. And what the diagnosis gives you is potentially is the care that you need, the support that you need, the support that the child needs. Not you as the parent, but all of that bit. You know, and that can be really super helpful in terms of navigating education and navigating occupational therapy and physiotherapy or whatever it is that you're, you know, your child, you know, you're going to be offered for your child or you're going to fight for for your child as mm. well. So that, and you, you cannot get that without diagnosis. You know, you're absolutely nowhere without that. You, you're just isolated and on your own with the child. So the diagnosis gives you that, but it doesn't change the child, right? So once you know that your child has whatever... You know, I totally recognize that there's a huge fear that goes along with, you know, what's, what's going to happen for my child when I'm not here to how do I get through day to day. Sometimes you don't sleep because the child doesn't sleep. So, you know, you, it's really stepping back and, and finding the tools, the individual tools that are going to help your child. And, and ultimately what we're trying to do is to help the child to balance their nervous system. Mm -hmm. So that might be through breath. It might be through massage to access breath. It might be but through movement Would you say that, that to is the foundation breath. to... Breath. All of it is, is but the nervous system as well. Yeah, it's yeah. the nervous system. Nervous it's system. completely the nervous system. Yeah. Totally. Mm. You know? and, and each child will have a different pathway. And one of the things that we, we look at at Special Yoga is, you know, I, I'm always looking at, you know, building the toolbox because for me it's not a methodology because every child is different. So every child has a key. Every child's going to need something a little bit different. You know, same, you know, it's like one of the gurus I used to work with used to say, truth is one, paths are many. So there's lots of different ways to get to the same place. Yeah. And different children are going to access different pathways differently. You know? But also the keys, I guess, around connection and touch. Totally. And, um, connection, touch, um, movement, yeah. breath, relaxation, different forms of massage, different forms of energy work, energy medicine. Uh, sound because I would literally you see know. children going into a room and having them going in with the teachers and then coming out and their whole face had changed would, would, would be lit up and also so, so many of these children that came in were just you could feel that they were such beautiful lights yeah, as well I know. Yeah. yeah so you know what we teach at special yoga is to you know is to open your heart to these kids and mm. see the magnificence that they are yeah so then you meet them from there. So you don't meet the condition. I'm not interested in the condition, actually. I'm interested in the child. Where, you know, where, what lights this child up? How can I find you? Where are you? Let's mm. see if I can work from your strength. So I'm not, we work from the inside out, not from the outside in. And I think that's what makes yoga quite different to other practices, really. 
Yeah, because everyone's unique and everybody's mm. different and it's not necessarily, you haven't got a mm. sort of a guide or a manual. I mean, you've got some, obviously you've had a lot of a lot of training and a lot of wisdom <laughs> and sort of what you've picked up along the, the years, but a lot of it comes from intuition and sense as well. Yeah. yeah, but I think you have to embody the practices. If you're going to share anything with the children, you have to understand it in your body. You can't learn this stuff in a textbook. they have to believe you as well, don't they? Because if you're a teacher and you're teaching a child... Yeah. Then a child can tell if you're authentic or not. Yeah, authentic. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, we have to be authentic with these children. We can't be anywhere else because they'll pick you up and walk all over you if you're not really real. And, you know, and if there's something about the child that you don't like, you shouldn't be working with them. Mm. Actually, until you've gone away and worked out what, what that, that is what in you. you that you see. Yeah. yeah. That's mirroring in you. Yeah. And then you can come back and work with the child mm -hmm. and thank the child yes. for showing you your path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, have you had tips for parents with autism? Um, what would your what would your, what would your I don't know tips be if people couldn't reach you or they can't necessarily come and do well, one, special one yoga of the with things you? that I think is really super important for parents is self compassion. Mm -hmm. Actually, is to be kind to yourself because it's really hard. It's really hard, and. We follow, um, I follow quite a lot myself, the work of, of Dr. Kristen Neff, who in fact is the mother of an autistic child. Mm -hmm. And she, in a very, 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 very simplified um, pathway, she recommends three different things to put together into a practice. One is, is in those moments where you feel that despair and just absolute inability to know what to do next because your child's tantruming in a, perhaps in an inappropriate place everybody's looking at you you feel awful it's just to acknowledge how horrible this moment is you know rather than you know it's just to honor it and yeah. know it it's and and it's like I tend to when those things happen to me is I put my hand on my heart and go I really hate this moment I actually really hate this moment and it, you have to find your own language around it right? yeah and then then part two is is based on the Buddhist uh, principles that um, the world is made up of suffering. And it's not that you want the world to be suffering, but I think there's something in those moments where you feel so isolated and so yeah. alone. Or oh, you feel it's so unfair. And it's so unfair, but actually, and it is. To, to, I mean, you can you can look at it in whatever way you look at it. Mm. And I have, believe me, with my own family, you know, felt crisis is so unfair, I can't bear this. So I know that feeling. But if you kind of were able to just acknowledge that the world is made of suffering yeah. to some degree... As, as much as it's made of joy, it's also made of suffering. So I'm not really alone. And the third is, is if I were my best friend, what would that person say to me? Would that person give me a hug? In which case, can I just squeeze myself, give myself a hug, take a moment to acknowledge myself, you know, wrapped up in a duvet, just give me back. So that what that does is it fills me back up. So I have, even if it's a small amount of resource, something in which to cope. It also changes my energy field as a mm -hmm. parent. So, and I've done it actually at home. And I remember one day when I did it, both my kids suddenly stopped and turned around and looked at me like, what just happened there? And nothing happened other than I changed my state. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of how much more power we have in not doing anything externally and and just in going in, inward and just going inward and then taking that moment for us yeah. and you know she talks about a situation when she was on a plane and you know her kid kicked off and needed you know it was screaming on a plane you know what that's like I mean everybody hates children screaming on planes 
me. Well, I've been, I've been, yeah, I mean, I've been on a plane when I've had my child and when he was, you know, I I know I've been on on either, I think think every parent has actually. (laughs) Yeah. And that horrible moment and and he needed the bathroom as well and he had a little control and Mm. and of course she, so she decides to take him to the bathroom the bath, the bathrooms are, uh, uh, full mm. so she's having to deal with it in that moment and every, she feels like everybody's looking at her and everybody hates her and everybody wants to get that you know yeah and she did the practice and she said you know you keep 20 percent of your energy on the child to make sure the child's safe and the other 80 percent you give you yeah and it's learning how to do that mm. you know and it's a it's a process it's yeah. not, not going to happen immediately but as you start to just acknowledge you and acknowledge the horribleness of this moment and that it's a moment and it will pass even though the likelihood is it will come again you know because that's the nature of 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 the beast but, but you to, you've it's, it's almost like nursing your own nervous system yeah, exactly and it? then what happens when so you nurse when it your happens own nervous again system, then it's not going to be triggered well it may be quite, but you can but do not, the same thing again yeah, yes exactly <laughs> but when you nurse your own nervous system it changes your energy field yeah and when your energy field changes the child is going to much more be able to calm within the context of your energy field than they would be Completely. if you are as frazzled as they are. Yeah. I and mean, they pick up not, on your anxiety, they pick up on your stress, totally. don't they? And, and they it's pick up not on your easy, but I find that that technique can be done in a matter of 30, 40 seconds, 60 seconds. And, it, you know, I'm not saying your child's going to suddenly stop tantruming because they probably won't, mm. but you're going to feel easier. And you're going to be able to hold space for that child to be able to come out more easily yeah. as and when they're ready to. Yeah, beautiful. You know? And I think we forget how important we are, you know, as parents, because all of all of the focus is fixing my child, making it better for my child. Because as a parent, that's all you want to do. Yes. And we lose ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important that we come back to finding ourselves. And people say, oh, it's too selfish. I haven't got any time for me. It's the most unselfish thing you can do. You know, on an airplane, they say to you, put your mask on before you put on the child's mask. Why do they do that? Because if you haven't got your mask on and you die, you can't help the child. Yeah. So actually, it's the same thing, but we forget. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably the most important thing It's true. When when I'm working with with teenagers and... If um, I have clients who who are coming in because they their children have got really bad anxiety and they want me to work with their child, I normally ask to do a session with the parent first. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and then that is just going to have such a more long term, profound yeah. effect. Would you? Um, I mean, it's we've spoken a lot about autism and Asperger's. And um, ADHD, but obviously you you work with blind children, deaf children, and children with cerebral palsy and motor neuron mm-hmm. diseases, and, yep. um, and all sorts of other conditions. And working <laughs> with Down syndrome as well, yep. and so uh, just in the way that that movement and massage and really helps with the yoga. And obviously, some of these children they can't actually do the yoga themselves, so you're helping them to to actually to move their bodies is that correct yeah i mean i think that the idea with the yoga is you know is different to uh other other pediatrics in that we're not doing it to the child we're doing it with the child so Mm -hmm. even if the child has no voluntary movement i'm inviting the child to be present with me and to participate with me and even if they don't seem it when you kind of talk to the child's higher self they're with you anyway and you you know it's like well here's my foot and here's my knee and here's my hand and things like that it was a long time ago, I, I worked with probably uh, a child that probably has the most challenged um, respiratory system I've to this day seen. 
And he had no voluntary movement. He'd been two years in a more or less in a hospice waiting to die with a do not resuscitate. And at two, they took the do not resuscitate off. And his parents went, oh, we, now we have to do something. You know, now we, we've been given permission, if you like, to do something. And somehow or another, somebody told him to come and see me. And they weren't people that had ever even heard of yoga. No idea what yoga was mm. or anything like that. And so I spent, it was about an hour and a half each session with the child because it was quite hard to, he was spending a lot of time having to be tube, uh, to have the mucus or, or, or fluid taken out of his throat and his yeah. lungs so he didn't asphyxiate. Um, but between session one and session two, he kicked his the doctor out of the way when they started to try and put cannulas in his feet. He'd never done that before. He kicked his sister in the bath. Now, this was a child that seemingly had absolutely no voluntary movement. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have guessed that that would have happened either. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we don't know until you start to work it. And his mother always said, you know, when he arrived with us, he had no idea he even had a body. So helping him to find his body helped him to find whatever capacity of movement he actually had within him, but nobody knew that. Hmm. So, and I think if you work from that place yeah. where we don't know what's possible, but let's let's see how we can start to work help together. you to work together yeah. to see what's possible. And we don't know what's possible until we try, you know, we don't know. Um, but even if they can, you know, because I think yoga works from the inside out. So even if you can't see anything, generally the children will always be more relaxed. Yeah. And if they're more relaxed, then, then, then the spasticity in their body because releases. Because you're completely present yeah. with the child yeah. as well, aren't you? Mm -hmm. And they can feel that mm -hmm. and they can sense that. Mm -hmm. um, you work a lot with around the world, don't you? So in places yeah. such you have a practice still... Is it, is it centers or like Sri Lanka, Russia? Or, it's different in every country. Yes, I don't, we don't actually Iceland. have any centers anywhere. Right, okay. So we, we get hosted to provide practices in different places. So in Sri Lanka, I was part of a, of a, a local NGO with the support of local doctors and local teachers and the, the government officials that were navigating uh, education and health care. And um, so we did some work in the schools which a couple of which had autistic units attached um, or, you know, it wasn't just autism. It was also learning difficulties. Yeah. No idea what to do with these kids whatsoever. Um, are these kids in orphanages or no, these are kids? Are, no, these like, kids weren't. I've also yeah. done orphanage work yes. there as well. Yes. Um, and then you've got the kids with physical needs who for the 99% or I would say 90% or 95% of the ones in Sri Lanka are not in education because there's no education for them. Mm. There are more schools being opened around the country for them, but it's still very limited. So they're shut away at home. And of course, if the family have to go out to work, these kids are just shut in a room all day. So it's like complete neglect, really. And neglect. there's no but What we would perceive as neglect. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, giving parents different tools to work with the children. So I, I worked in um, my favorite piece of work there was actually where in the buildings in the rural areas where the midwives kind of hang out mm -hmm. and they'd invite the families to come in. And I remember one day we were, we were told, oh, it'd be like 20, 25 kids would come in. Well, that's okay. So I arrived there were maybe 12. And so I did a group session, realized that these kids were far too se severe in their you know, in their state to to do groups. So we, I said, okay, I'm going to see each one of them one-to-one. -one. Each one of the parents waited. And I thought, oh, well, you know, by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'll be up off the floor. I can go to the beach, have a lovely afternoon. 
I don't know what time I got off the floor that day. I must have seen 70 children. Every time oh. I got up, it was, it was always like I was deemed this white witch, you know. Yeah. There was a whole Word other crew gone through of the these mothers that would arrive yeah. ca- you know, carrying their, their really, really, really disabled children. Wow. So it was really extraordinary. And then when mm. I went back, and I've done that in a few different places in Sri Lanka, and when I've gone back... Some of the parents have come back and said to me, wow, thank you so much. My child's now doing, able now to sit up so I can feed her properly or, you know, things we underestimate, mm. you know. Well, because I guess it's not the education, is there, or not kind of given the parents aren't Well, there, there's no help. There's no, and there's no, there's no pediatric. There, so there's like no There's very little pediatric yeah. professionals. A lot of the kids don't even have diagnosis, you know. Yes. So that's lovely. And then in other places, we, we work alongside orphanages and try and get people that we train to volunteer their time to the orphanages, which so is what's is happened it, in, Peru. in Peru. Yeah. That's happened in Peru. And I'm going to Mexico in February with the hope of... And the, are these orphanages specifically for children with special needs? Yeah. 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 And what are these orphanages like, Joe? I mean, well, the first time I went to the one in Peru, it was pretty grim, I have yeah. to say. Um, there was not enough space. There was not enough carers. There were not enough, there was no equipment for them. Um, most of them were just laying in bed. There was a lot of crying going on, a lot of very profound physical disability. Um, so it was quite moving, actually, yeah. to be honest. Not as bad as the orphanages in Russia that I'd been in for, uh, eight, nine, ten years ago. They were they were something else. But not much, you know, not much difference, I have to say. Um, but what was really amazing was, is that I, cause when I was hired to go to, asked to go to Peru, I was, it was like the Trioga of Lima, you know, organization. Right. So, and I had this really strong feeling that I just didn't want to just be training up middle-class people to work with middle-class kids. I had this like really, it's like, if I'm going to come here, we've got to help the children that re, you know, that really need it. Not that they, they their, their children don't, but they yes. can access different yeah. different care I want to they get can to the afford, children they can afford to the, these kids have just been left basically I want, to, I want to make sure that those abandoned kids are also given an opportunity mm. so I said to the organisation I'm going to come but only on the basis that you offer a few free places to the orphanage workers and I want to go to the orphanage as part of the training and they honestly thought I was bonkers they had the press ring me to say who are you <laughs> nobody does that I'm like well I don't care I'm not co- if you don't do it I'm not coming I'm just not coming brilliant so the outcome of that was they made the they made the orphanage their charity. Some other people had heard about the cha- the orphanage, and when I went back a year ago, maybe it was less than a year ago, I can't remember. Um, the orphanage the kids had wheelchairs. There was a new uh, a, a building built for which was more like a medical center for the really you know the children who really yeah. need medical care. Yeah, I mean it was amazing. And there were how did that feel, of people. Joe, oh my I mean, god! I tell you, I, it was all I could do to not cry the whole time mm. I was there. And they're still going in. Yeah, you know, regularly there's still regular yoga going now. in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then they were going into one of the hospitals and they're helping in the community. Just because really, that's also what yoga is—is is go and serve as mm-hmm. well. I mean, and obviously, we can only give what we can give. But if you can give a bit, just give a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, nourishes your soul. Yeah. So and we're going to do the same thing in Mexico in February. Fantastic. We need to have about 400 of you. <laughs> do you ever feel like that? Do you feel like that? I guess yeah, that's it's what like you trying have. to learn to be in 14 places at once. Train up more people. Yeah, you yeah, need, yeah, yeah. You need to um, yeah. sort of make yourself so that you can trans- transport yourself or teleport yourself to all of these different, all of these different places. Um, 
you but know, in, in Russia, we also work in Europe. Yeah, know, I mean, I so. guess it's like, but then when when you're going to these orphanages, and so, so when you said like going to the orphanages in, in Russia, mm. that was really grim. That was very grim. That first session that was really grim. Yeah, yeah. I came out and I thought, I, I, you know, I'm, I was shouting at God, how, why, mm. you know, how, you know, I mean. These children were tied up. They were, you know, they looked the size of three-year-olds. They were 15, 16. They were malnourished on every level. They smelled. I mean, it was awful. It was yeah. awful. Um, but I have to say, over the years, I went for five years running. I'm hoping to get back for a day next year. But And was, is it, was it the same that happened there? Did you kind of take no, the training there? I, there no, I didn't. Did there I was invited into the orphanage right. to train up the volunteers. Okay. And, the and the second year I went... The doctor said, we want to see you. And I'm like, okay, because at that time, the, the doctors and the volunteers wouldn't talk to each other. Right. Some nonsense yes, politics yeah, of yeah. organization. And um, they, uh, I was escorted down to a padded room, you know, with like, Gosh. all these women <laughs> dressed in white sort of sitting on one side. And I'm like, mm, okay. And they started to bring these kids in who had, you know, who were literally wrapped up in a pair of tights, you know, with their, you know, with the tights pulled around behind their arms, mainly because they were self-harming or right. harming others. Yeah. And I understand, I mean, it looks awful, but it, it it does stop them from hurting themselves or another when there's yeah. not enough manpower to prevent yeah. that. So I showed them how to calm the nervous system of these kids down so that they could untie them, basically. And I worked one by one. And then the doctors were like, okay, we're going to spend the rest of the next 48 hours following you. you know. And I'm like, just untie these kids and start to use these techniques. Yeah. And I don't know but how great many that they of them, were ready to listen and they were, they were ready it to took, learn. It took a couple of years of being there yeah. to be willing to open that. But yeah, yeah, wow, amazing. Um, yeah, so um, so now it's like so you have the the programs where you're taking the trainings to different countries so that they can develop they it, can develop they can that and they can yeah, teach yeah, yeah. it and yeah yeah, yeah 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 so what we're doing now is we, we're, we're at the moment uh, the organization is not a registered charity and i'm trying to convert it back into a registered okay. charity um and i want to get all our courses up online so that we become a an online education vehicle not not uh, with blended learning so that we're in touch with every person that um mm. takes a training with us through an intermediary, it wouldn't be directly with me. But, you know, I've got my teams training up to be mentors, to be consultants, to support. That's part and parcel of this journey, is to be able to support others on the journey with it. So that's the path. That's the path for the future, as well as the in-person courses. But the only way we can really reach parents, even in the UK, who can't get out because they haven't got respite to come and work with you know to come and learn how to work with their own children even mm. is online resource yeah you know so we have to use technology the absolutely of modern technology to to See, that, that's the to beauties really, of technology uh, isn't it yeah so. and i'm not i've resisted it for a long time because i really like the in-person piece yes but actually you can have an in-person communication if you if you um are through webinar and direct contact and mental support you know technology also allows that mm. so so, um, it's a very wide spectrum, isn't it, of people that you teach and reach out to. And I'm just thinking of helping children or helping adults. Sleep is obviously so important as well, isn't it? If you have a restless night, if the parent hasn't slept, if the child hasn't slept, then focus and attention and um, all of these kind of get thrown up in the air and it's... and uh, 
emotions can be flying around the room as well, can't they? And so what tips do you have? I mean, if you could give like offer the listeners, if someone is listening here now, like uh, tips for them to use now with their children to help well, I them think, to I relax. I think sort of a sleeping, you know, very gentle stretching will help to reduce the cortisol in the system, which is your stress in a stress receptor um so what would that be like downward dogs or? no i wouldn't go there i would just stretch your arms lateral yeah. bends mm. um stretch the hot lay on the floor and stretch your toes as far away as you can from your hands yes just keep it really simple i mean i'm not teaching people to be yoga teachers mm. i'm teaching you very accessible movement. basic tools of movement breath yeah. massage sound energy work relaxation yeah. So I think stretching helps because yeah. it releases the stress stress chemical. I think squeezing yourself helps to bring your sensory system into more balance. You know, where you're actually literally, if you were to just squeeze your arms and have the sensation that you're coming into your body, squeeze your legs to come into your body. You know, they use weighted blankets for some children. So how do you then put that pressure through the child or teach the child even more usefully mm. to give it to themselves without having to have the weighted blanket? You know, where they can squeeze themselves, where they can curl themselves up in a ball, where they can rock a little bit, where they can find their what soothes them as well. Mm. You know, and if this child rocks all the time, then they probably need to stretch as well as rock. Absolutely. You know, so yeah. it's finding that, the that, that are being contracting. Exactly. So you want to you want to stretch, yeah. contract, relax, breathe. Um, that would help. I think the sound of om helps a lot because the sound of om creates a vibration in the throat that fires straight back into the cervical part of the spine that goes into the vagus, you know, that creates right. vagal tone. Yes. Yeah. So just omming together would help, might help, and might it might also hit off the nervous system of a child, sensory system of a child goes, I don't like that sound. Yes. In which case, that's not the right practice. So I think it's taking some very little bits but yeah. all of the children would benefit from stretching all of the children would benefit from uh, movement but not you know jumping up and down necessarily mm. you know more not kind of calm calming yeah. movement and if they're if the child was you know, i know that lots of parents who struggle with child children who have anger issues and um and then as they get older and older trying to to manage that mm -hmm. what would you what would your advice be quickest sort of advice or tip for for breathing exercises for working with children managing their anger well i think when you're in the throes of anger it's very hard to do anything so i think it the work has to be done when they're not in the throes of anger mm. so i think there are different techniques around anger so one is you know, for the child to know that when they're in that angry state where they feel out of control, that it's, an, it's not them, but it's a piece of them that could also be named. So it could be named anger, it could be named George, it could be named anything you want to name it. And then the idea is, is that when you have that sensation of the feeling arising, you remember that actually you could have a conversation with that. You know, I mean, I've done it with kids in the yeah. throes of it, by the way, as well. Mm. But it's more difficult to access them and you have to hold it differently. It's like, okay, so you're, you're, so you're, you're separating yourself. It's like it's an energy. Or it's you're a, you're it's expressing, a thing. you because know, anger is just an emotion. Yeah. Emotion is energy passing through. So that's mm. all it is. But we name things like anger, fear, frustration as bad. They're not bad. They're part of the human yes. condition. We all and have they're them. They're really necessary to be able to They're really necessary. Well. So 
breathing. Um, there's another one that I think is really useful, which is called ha breath, mm. which is where you bring your hands, your elbows in towards your armpits, your uh, uh, fists are tensed, and you take a deep breath in and you push your hands out as you go ha and really loudly, so mm. that it's really from deep inside you. And you can do that a dozen times or more Perhaps and just release it releases it mm -hmm. so also what that does is it, it creates a longer exhalation so the longer exhalation then will uh, create the calm you know the calming response so yeah. it's finding different pathways to that and for a lot of children who are very highly anxious can't find their breath anyway so we use sound as the pathway often yes to finding that because when you exhale you make sound you mm -hmm. elongate the sound you're exhaling more deeply mm -hmm. and then you can start to elicit the um relaxation response in the yeah, system kids love to work with sound as well don't absolutely. they absolutely yeah absolutely i think we forget yeah. don't we just, just, it's just and then, then, and then it becomes to make it fun and absolutely mm. and then it becomes like channeling the emotion the energy yes yeah. As opposed to it being disrupted. And taking it out, taking your mind away from it because you're bringing it down into your voice. And yeah, into it. your body. To your body, yeah. yeah. So we, gosh, we haven't got very long. In fact, we're going to have to wrap this up. So if um, there was like one word or, no, not one word, but just a piece of wisdom that you would like to share with our listeners today, um, what would that be? Just for adults and children. <laughs> I don't know, really. I think it's just to, you know, I think for me it's, it's, you know, special yoga is a work of the heart. And if we can really start to honor our own hearts and just really learn to develop that inner kindness and inner compassion for ourselves it would benefit the children it would benefit us it benefits the world and you know because I, I think sometimes when people talk about connecting to the heart or feel your heart or connect to your heart space sometimes people really struggle with that yeah but I think it's also acknowledging that sometimes your heart space feels awful mm. you know sometimes you know so it's it's actually it's almost like meeting a part of you so if you were to say to your heart when you meet it how are you today how, how are you what 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 how can I best serve you how can I Sit with you today. Going what do you into need? All what the, do you all need? All of the chambers of different emotions. Yeah, but not the with the story. Mm. Not with the story. Just with the feeling, the sensation. So, what what would what would help you today? Not somebody doing something else. But what would help you today? Do you need to be under a duvet? Do you need a big squeeze? Do you need a big hug? Do you need to sing? Mm. Even do you yeah. need to just sing your joy as much as you might need to be, you know? And it's meeting that piece. That for me is what the energetic space of the heart is. It's just away from the mind and the story and into the essence of another piece of us. And, you know, hearts feel bruised sometimes and mm. it's okay. And it's learning to just be able to meet that piece of us with the kindness. Thank you. And then if when people want to find out um, how to work with you or to train with you, then how do they... How do we do that? Probably through our website would be the best, which yeah. is www.specialyoga.org.uk. And the training is open to Everybody. everyone? Everyone, yeah, absolutely. And you have teachers and Yeah, I just finished a training on Friday, world. actually, and it was um, a mixture of school teachers, special needs teachers, mainstream school teachers who had specific uh, responsibility for special needs, um, a couple of uh, a physiotherapist, an occupational therapist, a parent, a portage worker, 
Right, fantastic. So, you know, it was a real, and a few yoga people. Because you, you've been um, to Westminster, haven't you? Been mm. into Parliament as yeah, well yeah. to talk about bringing it into schools and making it yeah. part of the curriculum. How's that been going? Well, it's a slow process. Yeah. You know, I think that we have to be intelligent about how to bring these practices in in an accessible way into schools. Um, our, uh, we we were we did a pilot study in Norfolk for children who were you know, on the uh, pathway for exclusion from school because exclusion is rife. Mm. And I'm really keen on looking at how we can keep these kids in education rather than take them out of education. Because as soon as you take them out of education, you have a mental health crisis yeah. because isolation creates men is one of the big pathways for mental health crisis. Um, so we used yoga and breathing techniques and, and, and um, you know, as a way of uh, calming these kids so that they could... Uh, manage in school and so that also they would be they were in the optimum space to be able to learn as well without being reactive and so on and so forth and that consisted of a, a practice for the teachers uh, as well as uh you know a 12-week uh, uh, input we gave to the kids and we also did a little bit of work with the parents as well for those that wanted to so um and the outcome was really positive you know, was it? I mean, what it was, was it? What was the outcome? I think the outcome was that all the children um, felt that they were able to regulate better. We had we used a very robust evaluation tool um, that m showed that self-regulation had improved, that mood had improved, that coping had improved, that learning was improving as well. So it was it was filled in by parents and teachers. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And then we got anecdotal feedback from the kids as well. Mm. So, so that's that was a, a pilot, and yeah. then hopefully that's so. Something then we that's went in through be... government to try and get it through to the CCGs, in, in which is still in discussion. And, and like you said, it's, that's a it's a long process, but it's a process that's. Does it yeah. feel like it's it's um, moving? It is moving, but it's a slow process. And of yeah. course, you know the the political situation in this country has halted everything anyway yeah. for this period of time. So, mm. you know, we just get on with doing the best we can. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's very little being commissioned or being done at the moment, mm. you know, because no one knows what the future holds. Yeah. So um, you're not registered charity right now. So it's we all are looking to so be very soon. Yeah. So if people want to donate, or they can still donate. Yes. Um, you know, we, they can question. donate to us as a cause. Yes. Um, definitely. That's mm. again, just get in touch with us. You can yeah. get in touch with us through the website. Um, yeah, it would be hugely appreciated, hugely grateful yeah. for that. And uh, you know, I'm hoping that within about six months, we we will we will be set up as a charity again. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah. wonderful. Oh, Joe, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you so much for being in here. It's just, yeah, I'm just I am so grateful for um, meeting you and for the special yoga center. Watch, be have just that opportunity to spend that year and a half. I think when I was working there um, to to just to be part of that and to witness it and and just also for all of the work that you're doing because it's it's such important work and like you say if there are more people sort of coming from this place of what place of working from the heart as opposed to from the mind then uh if everybody could be practicing this it would be a much more different different place and space and just seeing the gifts and the beauty in in everyone mm. yeah so thank you thank very you. much thank, thank you, you so very much, much. <laughs> okay thanks so thank you so much everybody we're coming towards the end of this episode and thank you so much joe you're such a wonderful human being and a real inspiration to me and so many i really hope that this has given parents and carers of children with special needs some guidance and answers that they might have been seeking
As always, with each episode, we're providing a mini episode with a breathing exercise to support the theme. You can find this wherever you find your podcasts. I would love to hear your feedback. If you found it useful or if it helped you to feel more positive, your stories of how it's made a difference mean the world to me and it's why I love sharing breathwork. We all know someone going through challenging times and sometimes we don't know what to say. Maybe these breathing exercises can help navigate them through. I'm on Instagram at breathing.tree or to find out more about breathwork, check out my website, breathingtree.co.uk. This podcast was edited by Kazra Virosia and produced by One Fine Play. And remember to keep breathing and listening out for more inspiring episodes coming very soon.